0: Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 3. We're only going to deal with the first five verses of this chapter. Um, I'd like to talk about um, today, uh, through this passage, authentic uh, spiritual stability. Authentic spiritual stability. Father, Father God, um, you know, I pray today for uh, uh, this message. Pray for us and our souls that we would catch it. Um, That it would be more than just I went to church and I heard a word. But, God, that you would uproot some stuff in our life and replant us properly in your truth and in your word and in your way, Lord God. Lord God, help uh, just really show us where we're wayward in our hearts towards you, where we've wandered from you. And, and, And help us to grasp your word, Lord God. Lord, I pray that um, you would let the words of my mouth, help them to not be foolish. I have a tendency at times, Lord, as you know, to say stupid things from the pulpit. So God, forgive me for my sin. Help me to be very careful that I stay close to the Holy Spirit and that I would, that I would let the truth of the word of God flow from it. Help that to be no youthful rhetoric that would impede upon your message. And God, I pray that the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that, said Amen. everybody agree with that, said Amen. you may be seated. <coughs> um today as we talk about authentic spiritual stability through our summer series through First Thessalonians on authentic Christianity, I can't help but think about being with my wife. For 18 years, and I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't help but think about that and think about uh, her, her, and my marriage. And one of the things that she's always wanted to do, was she wanted to start a garden. And so now we live four blocks from here, and we got a nice little North Philly backyard. You know what that means. And so, um, and, and, and 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 she's began to start her garden. You know. However, as we've, she, you know, she's starting her garden. We're, we're beginning to realize. We're in an urban, rural area. Now, I'm going to explain that to you in a second. Because i got a fire pit in my backyard. I love to sit out there, pull on my iPad, watch Netflix, chill out, and everything. So I'm out there at night sometimes. You know, it gets real, real dark moon out. And I hear something scuffling in the corner of my yard. Now, you all understand I'm from the city. I don't understand a whole lot of things that's not city. So I look over there, and I see these two gray-looking, ugly things. And there were two possums in my backyard. Two possums making noise, and they acting like they own my backyard. I say, dare you walk towards me. Um, so I didn't bother them, because they got rabies. Then I said, I said, well, OK, well, cool. You know, um, you know, I guess that's all I'm going to see, you know. So, I, so, so one, one night, I opened my backyard door. My little automatic light comes on. Then we got our motion light comes on. Then I look across the yard, and some dude walk across my yard like this. It was a raccoon just walking across my yard <laughs> like it's his yard. So I'm like, what is happening? In North Philadelphia. Then, 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 then another time, in the daytime, I, I look outside and I see this big brown furry thing. It's a, it's, it's a group of groundhogs. So I'm like, where in the world am I at? And so I, I just can't understand. We got bugs everywhere. I got to put off on me all, all over. We, I got to spray the yard and all these type of things. And she's trying to plant, you know, basil and. And, and tomatoes and, you know, all different types of things. And she's finding out that things are coming up, coming up missing with her things as she's doing her garden. And so, and so what we're trying to do is, is my wife's goal is to really to help develop a stable place, to have a stable environment, to be able to help what she's trying to plant to grow so that it can be used how it like like she intended for it to be used. As a matter of fact, she used some of the basil in a beautiful omelet she made for me. It was a smoked gouda tomato and basil omelet. It was nice, fresh basil. Uh, uh, no, yeah, first yeah, yeah. It was real, real good. So, so, so I, so I like I, I like that. Um, but but but, I, but she wants to continue to be able to do those types of things. But the environment, many times can get in the way of what she's planting, growing the way it should, and the fruit that is in it to be brought fully to fruition. And many times our spiritual lives are the same way, is there are forces in this world that don't want you to be what God wants you to be. There are forces in this world that would attempt to impede upon the work of God in your life. God is planting things and rooting things and developing things in your life that that, that he has planned for you. But but, but he wants you to be stable. Somebody say stable. Stable. Now, 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 let me just explain something to you about the Christian life. It, it, It is that God promises that if you cooperate with him... He'll make you stable. However, he doesn't promise that things around you will be. So so we live with this paradoxical reality where we're dealing with having to be stabilized, having to be rooted, having to be grounded in the midst of things, in the midst of people, in the midst of places that would seek to uproot God's planting techniques. And so as we dive into this and look into this passage, we'll see that this is not a foreign idea to the bible this is very indigenous to the philosophies of the scriptures and so we come here to 1st Thessalonians chapter 3 and we see Paul beginning to engage and talking about sending Timothy back to Thessalonica which brings us to our first point my first point and probably only point I'll get through today is spiritual stability is intentional Spiritual stability is intentional. And so Paul says in verse 1 here of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1, he he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens (coughs) alone. And so Paul goes and he begins talking to the Thessalonians about the fact that when they left Thessalonica because of the three weeks that they spent in Thessalonica... Uh, preaching the gospel in the synagogues, as they began to speak, preach the gospel in the synagogues. Um, people got mad because people were becoming Christians, and so the city began coming after them, and so they suffered persecution. As they began to search, uh, 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 experience persecution, they went down to Berea, which is another part of the uh, of the of the part of Macedonia, the state of Macedonia. So they go down to Berea. They send a battalion down there. Then my man goes from there to Athens. So now he's in Athens. It's Acts chapter sixteen. Uh, verse around, around the 14th through the 16th verse, and so Paul is worrying now. He he's worried. is godly worry, uh, um, be, be because, because Paul has a godly worry about the stability of where Christians are in their souls. Whenever he planted churches or led people to Jesus, rather, what would begin to happen is he would be concerned about the beginning stages of whether or not the truth of God's word had actually taken root in their lives. And so because of that, he said, I couldn't take it anymore. He said, I was overwhelmed with the need to know where they were. When you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, don't turn there. He begins to talk about a bunch of trials that he had. He began talking about being shipwrecked. He talks about being left exposed. Um, he began talking about being left hungry. He, he, he begins talking about uh, all types of different ordeals, getting flogged multiple times over and over and over again and always on the run from getting jumped by somebody in some city because of his passion for the gospel. But what's interestingly enough is at the end of that section, he says, as bad as those things are to me, he said, the, the, the most difficult thing for me is where the church is. In other words, where is the spiritual state of the souls of the people that name the name of Jesus Christ? And, and, and as a pastor and as a shepherd, one of the things that always, uh, uh, that, 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 that keeps me awake at night and keeps me praying hard is where the souls of God's flock is. Well, whether, whether, not, not just whether you're saved, but how you're reflecting the reality of the fact that you are saved. Now, let me say that again because I'm by myself. In, 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 other, in, other, in other words, it, it's, it's important for the people of God to be clearly rooted and grounded and stable in where God wants them to be so they can be all that God wants them to be. Amen, somebody. And, 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 and so that is a burden, the, the burden of shepherding, the burden of leading, the burden of loving, the burden of knowing, the burden of protecting is wondering whether or not you are where God wants you to be and whether you want it bad enough. See, because one of the most difficult parts of shepherding is wanting more for people than they want for themselves. See, see, that's the part of it is, is you can, I've learned being a pastor and being in ministry for almost eight, over 18 years, going on 20 years, is that you can want what you want for people, but people have to want it for themselves. Yeah. See, you can, you can pray for them, you can travail over them, but you have to, they have to want it. And so Paul says, I am going to do my due diligence on my end to want for you. But but at the end of the day, you're going to have to connect to that reality of wanting it for yourself. And so he goes and he sends Timothy, and he stays alone in Athens. And he sends Timothy and Silas back to Thessalonica in order to be his apostolic delegate to be able to check on how the souls of the people of God are doing. How are they continuing in the truth of the Word of God? How are they continuing in their belief in the gospel? And I love this. And he, he, he begins, he said. <laughs> he says, I couldn't bear it any longer. It was overwhelming me. I had to check on you. He says, we wanted to be left alone in Athens. He said, we sent Timothy, <clears throat> our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel to establish you. Somebody say establish. Somebody say exhort. <clears throat> that's, that's, that's important. So, so, so here in the passage, I'm going to spend most of our time on this issue of established established. It is, it is a very, very important term in the economy of Scripture. It is used throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it, especially in the New Testament, about where God's people are in relation to them being rooted and grounded and where they're supposed to be. The word established here, <clears throat> if you will, in the Greek is a word that means to fix firmly in one place. Let me, let me say that again. To f- be fixed firmly in one place. To be set up, to support, to cause, to be inwardly firm and committed, uh, uh, to be to be to be strengthened. It it presupposes that the Christians who are to be strengthened are under assault and in danger of becoming uncertain and slothful in their execution of their walk with Jesus Christ. It says the effect. It says the the, the effect or aim of strengthening is to impregnably of the Christian faith, in fact, in spite of the troubles which have to be endured. So the word has to do with gospel legacy in the lives of God's people. Over in, over in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus utilizes this philosophy when he begins talking to his disciples. <laughs> in, verse, in verse 32, he, 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 he talks about in chapter 22, verse 32, when, when he says this, he says, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again to establish or strengthen your brothers. In other words, look at verse 31. Simon, Simon. I like that. I like the way Jesus, I don't know how Jesus, I don't know what, 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 what aesthetic vocally Jesus was in when he hollered at my man Pete right there, right? I don't know if he said Simon, Simon. He said Simon, Simon. I don't think he said it like that. I think it was almost a a touch of perplexity and pain about what he knew was going to happen when his faith of whether or not he believed what he said he believed. Because you got to understand, Peter was theologically astute because he ran his mouth publicly. He was the one in which when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, he had his theology right, right there. And so he was able uh, 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 to communicate that even though he was a fisherman, he was deep and, and, and all of that kind of carrying But what was interesting is it says, Simon, Simon. He says, behold, (laughs) meaning, look, I want you to look for real, for real. Satan demanded to have you. He said that he might sift you like wheat. He said, but I've prayed for you. (laughs) See, I like that. I I like that. In, In other words, Jesus is concerned about your stability. In other words, he knows that you will be placed In unstable environments. As a matter of fact, God has set things up so that your environment will never be stable. wish I had somebody talking back to me right there, but y'all ain't gonna talk back. It's all right, we'll get it in a second. Listen, your life will always be riddled with instability, but the question is will you allow the Lord to root you instability in the midst of instability? And so he said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Go back over to 1 Thessalonians. What does is, what is, uh, Timothy go to check on? Their faith. We'll talk about that in a second. <coughs> when the Apostles were established in churches, you don't have to turn here. In Acts chapter 14, 22, and Acts chapter 15, 32, verse 41, and chapter 16, verse 5, and 18, verse 23, you see that there is this sense... In which they're looking to make sure that the people of God were established. Whenever a church was planted, they wanted to make sure that the souls of the people were strengthened. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to strengthen yeah. so that so that they could take you off training wheels. Yeah. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. When, when I remember when, my, when I was I was getting to learn how to ride a bike, and and, and I had to, I remember. It. See, they don't make bikes like they used to. See, my My tricycle was one of them, It joint was heavy. It was made of Roman steel, I'm telling you. It had to be. And it was heavy. (laughs) And I would ride on the training wheels, and I would ride it, but but, but at a certain point, uh, the weight, you would ride it so much that it would bend a little bit. (laughs) Because they set the training wheels up for the training wheels to continually go up slowly so that you can balance yourself over time. Thinking you're on the training wheels, but not realizing you've been strengthened to be stabilized to be able to work without the training wheels. And it's funny, as soon as my dad flipped the training wheels up, I started going on like this. (coughs) So what he would do is while I'm riding, he would flip them up really, really slowly as I'm riding so that I wouldn't let the fact that the training wheel's not there make me think that I wasn't stable. (coughs) See, in your life, God wants you all training wheels. God wants you all training wheels to let you know that He's strengthening you to be stable to walk through the Christian life. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and so, as we look at all of these passages, we see Romans chapter twenty-five, verse twenty-seven. I mean, I'm sorry, Romans sixteen, twenty-five. <coughs> In Romans sixteen, twenty-five, it's interesting that Paul says, "I want you to be established according to my preaching of the gospel." In other words, he expected, again, <coughs> that the people of God would be stable. So what is the process of establishing people in God's word? What did they do? Number one, <coughs> they wanted to make sure that they had confidence in the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Said, he said, I can't wait to come preach the gospel to y'all. Believers. <coughs> and so he wanted to make sure that the people of God were affirmed. And everything was all right in their life in relation to them being able to hear the gospel over and over and over again. Next, gospel growth, Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. (coughs) Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. It's interesting here. He said the gospel has been bearing fruit in your life ever since it began. In other words, (coughs) when you're established, there's an expectation that you're on a continual trajectory of spiritual growth. That's what establishing does for you, is it helps you to be on that continued trajectory. It's very, very important for us. Number three, healthy biblical truth. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Um, clear, clear, clarify on how the church should function. <coughs> number, f- number five, a discipling community. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and in Titus chapter 2, it became a fact that God's people were becoming a discipling community. That means that the people of God were expected to all make disciples. The, 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 in other words, when, when a community is getting established and it's getting more rooted and grounded biblically, that means that everybody is supposed to be a part of the Great Commission. <laughs> and so that's, that's one of the things that they prepared them in to make sure that that was actually happening in the body of Christ for the people of God. That means it's all y'all's responsibility. That, that means you can't stabilize somebody if you're not stable. <laughs> let me say that again. You can't help anybody else get stabilized if you ain't stable. Let me, let me say that again. If, if you in a house and you say somebody's homeless and they're coming to live with you, but you don't pay your bills and you got pink slips, you just ask them to join you in perpetual homelessness. In other words, you got to have a stable structure to be able to help unstable people to be stabilized. <laughs> and, and, and because that's very, very important in your life, that there's a, there's a philosophy and passion to say, I want to be stable, I want to walk in the immovability that God has built me up to be able to be. That's why one of my favorite verses on it is uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding... In the work of the Lord, knowing that your work where? In the Lord ain't in vain. In other words, the only work that's not in vain is your work in the Lord. Everything else don't matter. And, and, and so, and so this, this is the philosophy that they were trying to build him up under, that you were, even though you, you are an exile, if you will, based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, there was a sense where earth isn't your home, but even though earth is not your home, It doesn't matter. You can still have stability in the midst of an unstable world. Next one is he stabilized them in mission, outreach, and evangelistic fervor. One of the things that they wanted the community to become as a stable community (coughs) is also to become something else, a community that doesn't become ingrown on its own needs. Because what can happen is when we get stabilized in our minds spiritually, what we can become is complacent. And when you become complacent, that means you want everybody to meet your needs, but you don't turn your eyes outward to help meet others' needs. And so that's why in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see something powerful. (coughs) We see in the passage that the believers were together, they were fellowshipping together, paying attention to the apostles' teaching, getting established, but then at the end of that, and it said, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved, meaning that their establishment of being rooted and grounded in God's Word affected also how they interacted and engaged people and engaged lost people. So that means you got to be willing to do that. And that's a part of all of our life is that somebody said, well, we're supposed to come out from among them. That's not what the passage is talking about. (laughs) Coming out from among them is pointing to this. It's just saying, listen, you don't do life with a person that doesn't believe and allow them to philosophically and theologically change your mind about God. However, you're supposed to be in relationships with lost people. That I mean, you can't be around Christians all the time. You know, I know we want Christian grocery stores. You know, we want, we want Christian wigs, Christian weaves, Christian earrings, Christian Christian, Christian uh, socks, Christian gold teeth and platinum teeth, Christian eyeglasses, you know, Christian, Christian gems, everything Christian. Because what we want to do is we want to create a world that makes us look more stable than we actually are. But what the gospel prepares you to be is stable in the midst of instability so that you can be a picture of what stability looks like in the midst of instability. He says, so I didn't take you out of the world. I put you in the world. And so when Christians begin to argue with you because you take advances to be in the midst of a fallen world like, and say, instead of hating on me, come on with me. And so, and so how, where am I getting this from in the text? That's what he's teaching them because they're under hellacious circumstances. And so that's so important for us to understand is that he's not preparing them to come out of the world. He's preparing them to survive in it. And that's what many of us need. We need survival tactics of the Lord to help us in that. But then also, that he also wanted to the removal and challenge of people and things that impede that. Um, it says the removal and challenge of people and things that impede upon this development. And so Paul left Timothy one time in Ephesus in First Timothy chapter one verse three, and he told you he told him he said the reason why I left you in Ephesus is so that you may teach certain men not to teach things that ought not to be taught or strange doctrines. In other words, things that pull away from the ability for you to go where God wants you to go and develop you in what God wants you to be developed in. In other words, there are times in your life where God wants to remove things people, and places from your life that impede upon your ability to be stable. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Now, 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 that's very important for you to understand that some of us hold on to things in our life that is not a mechanism of growth, but it's destroying our growth because we forgot and don't recognize how dysfunctional we were. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, let me see if I can make it clear. See, stability helps you to see your dysfunction. When I was growing up, I lived in the house, our house was falling apart, everybody called, I used to get joned on in my neighborhood. Kids used to gather around me, talk real bad about my house. My house was the worst house on the block. We had wooden porch, junk coming apart, roof coming down. I got squirrels coming across my room and I'm, I'm scared to go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Water coming in the crib, all kinds of stuff. Kids used to talk real bad about me. But I thought it was normal that people dealt with difficult homes like that that was falling apart until I got out of my house and began to look back and I saw stable house, look back on my house and realize I can't believe I was able to function in that place like that because what I would have done is I would have taken that normalcy with me and recreated it. However, because I've been stabilized through seeing a difference, now I can erase and stop dealing with the philosophy of the instability that I was raised under. Some of y'all don't know, but y'all live in functional dysfunction. In other words, your functional dysfunction is you made something smell good that God says stinks. And so what God wants to do is, God, is God, God stabilizes you through removing and overshadowing that with the truth of his word. And telling you not just I know it, but what does that look like? See, that's the difference. See, many of us know information about the word, but we don't know what the word looks like in our life practically. Or oh, I'm wish I'm by myself. See, being stabilized means I don't just know the information, but I know what it looks like, and I'm willing to walk through the hard work of God working it into me yeah. for transformation. Know yeah. why? Because they're trying to lace them with an un, 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 undescriptive and untamed passion for Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the focus of being stabilized. If your passion for Jesus Christ is in place, everything else falls in place. If your passion for Christ falls into place, everything else in your life falls into place. But look at American stats about the church. Check this out. And we're still on the word established here. It says in America, it says 3,500 to 4,000 churches close their doors each year. Half of all churches last year did not add one new member through conversion growth. (laughs) That means they were only doing transfer growth. That means they just created better programs to get other Christians from other churches to come to their church because it's better. Not because of engaging lost people yeah. with the truth of the gospel and the number being added in Acts chapter 2 verse 47 where the numbers being added was to those being saved, not people moving from churches that they didn't like and going to better churches that they did like. Oh, I ain't going to get no help right there. Next one. Churches <laughs> lose an estimated of 2.7 million people each year to nominalism and secularism. It said 1,500 pastors leave the ministry each month due to moral failure, spiritual burnout, and contention in their churches. Because only only 15% of churches in the United States are growing. Now check this out. And just 2.2% of that 15% are growing by conversion growth. So when we look at those stats, we see that there's a stability issue in America with the church. That that means that that God has to do some major work in our lives to help the church become massively stable. And what he's not trying to stabilize, he's not trying to stabilize your facility. He's trying to stabilize your facility, you, your soul, where you are, where you are in your life, where you are, that you're not all over the place and zigzagging spiritually everywhere, all over, everywhere but nowhere. Being established is rooting your feet down. And God taking you down. Let me see if I can make it clear. God, God God was on a ship, and he had motion sickness. I don't know why he was there. He got on the ship, and he got on this nice cruise ship. Cruise ship was burning. Food everywhere, pools, shuffleboard, bowling, everything up on the mug, right? Nice little sea view where he can get out and look at the ocean, see the sunset, sunrise. It was just a beautiful situation. But the ship got into a storm. And when the ship got into a storm, he began to shake, he said, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then he took him some Dramamine. The Dramamine helped a little bit. And so he began talking to them, and he saw the captain. The captain was just walking. He got a cigar on his mouth. He just walking, you know, across with his hat like this, with his white outfit. You know how them captains be walking. They be cooled in a mug. He just walking around, and he walking on the side of the ship, and the ship's going like this, whoosh. Whoa, he just walking, still walking. And money looks at him. He's like, yo, man, how you all like this in the midst of a storm? He said, I'm just saying, I mean, man, I'm about to throw up. He said, he said, he said, How in the world are you okay in the midst of this storm? The ship looked like it's gonna turn over. Things look like it's really bad. He said, He said, Well, son, let me just tell you something. As the ship was rocking, he said, Look how tall this is. He looked up, he said, Yeah. He said, this, this ship is pretty tall. He said, he said yeah, it's pretty tall. What does that have to do with anything? He says, but see how tall it is up there? Yeah. He says, it's three times as tall under the water. He's like, he's like what does that have to do with anything? He said, no matter how much this storm tossed us, no matter how which way it goes, this, this ship goes so deep on the water that it may move on the water, but it's not going to tip over because it got deep roots into the water. See, I'm just trying to help you out is... You need to recognize that things will come your way, difficulty will come your way. Why? Because he tells them later, we told you difficulty was going to come in this passage. However, what makes us different than anybody else is when the storm comes, we may shake. We may move. We may get rained on. uh, Some things may get tossed around on the deck, but you got to recognize is that when you've been established through the gospel, when you've been established through the word of God, you can walk on the deck of this world. You can walk on the streets of this world, and what can happen, guess what, is you can still not be turned over. Why? Because God has stabilized you. Because God, not you, not you. You've been trying to make it. Listen, your degrees don't stabilize you. Your relationship doesn't stabilize you. Liquor doesn't stabilize you. Weed doesn't stabilize you. Uh, 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 The the football team don't stabilize you. Nothing in your your boss don't stabilize you. Your family don't stabilize you. Only God and God alone can stabilize you until we get that through our thick skulls that the only person and the only place that can establish us, that can root us, that can stabilize us, some of us, God is going to cut us off from stuff that we been expecting and believing to stabilize us just so he can prove to you that only he can do it. And I'm just trying to tell you, don't, don't weep too long about it. Because God loves disciplining his children to remove stuff to make them more stable. Really, which what happens is you begin to take it as pain from God, but God has said, I'm just trying to establish you. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you some practical stuff. He's trying to put you in place where you can't place yourself. And God loves ripping things out of your hands that you have your hands like, listen, my mama, my grandma, and all of them had a good theology. Guess what they said? They said, don't hold it, nothing close. Because if God has to pry it out of your hands, he'll break your finger and anything in the way of it to get it out of your hands. So baby, walk through life with an open hand before God. Why? Because it won't hurt if he has to take it away from you. And I'm just trying to let you know. That God is going to take some things from some of y'all. He's going to put you in some pain. He's going to put you under the pressure cooker. He's going to put you under the slow cooker. He's going to put you under the quick cooker. And the thing that he's trying to do is make you look more like him. You better get it through your skull that it ain't about you. It ain't about your life. It ain't about your mind. It's about him. Get it through. When are you going to learn the lesson? One day you're just gonna say, God, I know you're stabilizing me. Let me just pray for my disposition. Because see, most of the time we pray, I, I, it, see, most of the time we we you know we're praying about how to get out of it. But that's not what God does. He keeps you in it because why where did I get this from in the text? The Thessalonians are going to do persecution. And so he has to remind them everything gonna be all right. You ain't gonna die, you're gonna live. That's what the proverbs say about spakings, don't it? It said, beat your child, take out the rod, tear him up. The Eric Mason translation. They will live and I die. Amen. That's the same thing happened to you. That's the same thing happened to you. God loves you so much that he won't let you get so attached to instability. He loves you so much that he will smell the funk of your life and he doesn't spray pur- Listen, when I was in college, and y'all know where I'm going. In some cats, they had some nasty outfits on. Nasty walking all on campus, one leg up. Y'all know about the one leg up back in the day. Cats used to have one leg up, like the L. Cool J Cannon, walking all, carrying on. And you, and you, sm- first thing you smell is the per- the cologne. You're like, dang, youngin, where you get that joke from? Oh man, don't worry about it, man. You know how we do. Then you walk past him, and someone's like, you're like, there's something under that. There's something, you know what I'm saying? That, the perfume kind of went that way, and then some funkology 101 one came from under the current. You know what I'm saying? In other words. He was trying to not wash and spray cologne on to cover up the dirt. But see, what I like about God is he don't work that way. What he does is he bears you naked and puts you in the shower of his grace the shower of his love, the shower of his mercy. And guess what he does? He scrubs you off through the blood of Christ. And as he scrubs you off, he wants to make sure that the way you smell is an authentic smell, not a stench. And so that's why he deals with your instability issues by getting to the root of the very thing that you've been trying to avoid. And so God says, I'm not going to let you stink no longer. I'm still in the text. Established, that's what we're on. God establishing us. It's very important. Very important. Get that lesson. I, I, I got to move. The things that are friends are being established. A few things. I'm going to just name a few things that <coughs> the apostles normally did when they established. <coughs> Number one, they tried to exalt a high regard for the Bible. A high regard for the Scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It's one of my. I memorized this passage a long time ago because it because it helped me so much. It, it says, "These things I've written to you, in order that you may not stray far from the things which are written." I think that's a beautiful verse, because our tendency is to wing it. Our tendency is to wing it. God wants is for you to be loaded with truth from the Word of God, so that you have something for the Holy Spirit to pull on to help you to remain stable. If you think I'm lying, I'm telling you gospel truth right now. The, Jesus said, uh, he says everything that I have said to you, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your remembrance. Yeah. Let me just tell you something. If you don't have nothing in you, he can't bring it back to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit doesn't put the word of God in us. He charges us to get the word of God in us. And when it's in us, he'll bring it up in our mind to remember it situationally based on what we need. That's why you got to be in your Bible. That's why you have, a high, have to have a high regard for the scriptures. Because some of you are spiritually Christians, but you're functional humanists. You're functional pluralists. Some of you are black saved. You ain't really saved. Oh y'all, got, oh, y'all y'all looking at me crazy. Black saved is people that grew up in the church, got baptized at 12 years old, and mistaken the fact that they went to VBS Sunday school and got baptized at 12 for the fact that they're Christians. But you, you know spiritual lingo, but when people probe about belief in the gospel, you're confused. That means you're culturally saved, not spiritually saved. Some of y'all are spiritual, though. Y'all are spiritual people. You know, I, I you know, read my Bible and... To myself and get in the Word of God, and you know, I, I mean, the, Christ is you know. I believe in all kind of spiritual things, uh, you know. I believe that you know you can you can you can pull from Buddhism and you can pull from Hinduism. There's truth over there too. Christianity isn't the only true place. I mean, uh, and, and and what's that happen is 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 you become a pluralistic. Philosophical theologian. In other words, you become an inclusivist versus a a spiritual exclusivist. Now, that doesn't make you intolerant. It makes you tolerant. Why? Because being exclusive means you understand the grace of God. Being inclusive means you don't because you take anything as grace. Y'all lost that. And so what happens is, is that God wants to help us to be, oh, I got to move. But I'm just trying to let you know that you got to be rooted in that doggone Bible. Let me keep moving. Let me keep moving. Dealing with your sin. Listen, the thing that they would teach them first, a lot, is to deal with your sin. That's one of the things apostles would teach when they are helping establish churches. That's why John, when he writes back to the church in 1 John chapter 1, the first thing he talks about is fellowship with God, the Bible, and sin. Guess what he says in verse 9? He is faithful and just. Now, this is one thing he said before that. He says, if we say we have no sin, see, if you say you're not a, you haven't sinned, you're, you're not stable. And the, he said, you're a liar, and the truth ain't in you. So if you say, I don't sin, you're, you're lying by saying that. You're sinning by saying, right there, you lie. As soon as you not the. he said, but if we sin, he is faithful and he said, we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Anyone who sins continuously is, a, is not of, the, of truth. But if we do sin, we have an advocate who is with the Father. So what does that mean? That means that we don't live a lifestyle of licentious sin. However, because we haven't been fully sanctified, we're still going to sin. Therefore, when you do sin, you tell the truth about yourself and the holiness of God. Let me say that again. You tell the truth about where you are and where God is, that he's standing up and he's holy. Like when when Isaiah saw him, he didn't front. See, when you're not before God's presence, you can front. But when you get before his presence... You say, "Oh my God, oh my God, I'm, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips." And he said, "I'm undone." And the angels said, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord." But what's so good about God is when he, Isaiah confessed his sin, he cleansed him in the very face, place where he confessed it. Listen, that's how you get stable is you stop living in apathy and being philosophically schizophrenic, and you say, God, this is the area of my life where I've blown it. This is the area of my life where I've sinned. This is how you get established. Then guess what he does? He puts the blood of Christ on that sin, removes and uproots the sin out of your life, and replaces it with righteousness and truth and grace and mercy and flavor and everything that comes with it. Why? Because he's establishing you. You better learn. You better learn how to be honest about your sin. Because you won't grow if you keep not admitting stuff. Oh, I got to (laughs) move. But these are just some of the things the apostles did. I'm still in the text, just for y'all who think I'm not. Um, A deep personal commitment to spiritual growth. Ephesians 4. I'm just telling you. There is this. I want us, and I think the Scriptures... This is some practical things. A deep sense of desire to not remain the same. Because, yeah. see, you can confess and repent of sin, but not want to grow beyond it. So, what you have to do is you have to begin to say, God, I don't want to be the same. Yeah. And that means you can't allow your life to remain in the same place forever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to let you know. You can't allow, because anything you don't deal with catches up with you. Yeah. Okay, y'all don't believe me. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap what? Life. So what does that mean? That means that you have to be committed to pursuing consistent spiritual renewal. And that's what the apostles would have to leave them with. Uh. He says, and I came to exhort, he sent him to exhort, to exhort you in your faith. And he talks about all of this idea of in your faith. This idea of in your faith, throughout this passage from one to thirteen, is to speak of the Thessalonians' comprehensive spiritual state or status of their progress since believing. And then he says, "This is the reason why we establish you." That reason why I said all of that just now. It applied establish. Then he says, "And to exhort you, guess why? Look at this." That no one may be moved by afflictions. Look at that. It assumes your life is going to be unstable. He assumes it. He said, so that you won't be moved by what you're going through, going to go through, or what you're coming out of. Listen, remember I said this. You're in three states of life. You're either in a trial, coming out of one, or going into one. But that's, that's, that's your life until Jesus comes back. So you might as well put your backpack on, get your tools in, get your water bottle, and get your cleats for climbing because it's going to be rugged but beautiful. <laughs> the Christian life is hard, but the Christian life is beautiful. Every now and then you need to get in the presence of God and say, God, things are difficult, but I don't know how difficult they would be if I wasn't in you. I got to keep moving. If it had not been for the goodness of God... Ah, in my life, I got to move. The idea of moved by afflictions in the Greek means to be emotionally upset. (laughs) I wish I had time. I'm out of time. To be moved, disturbed, or agitated by what you go through. He says, I'm bringing these so you won't be moved. He says, and you know that we were destined for this. Who's teaching that? Who's teaching that? I want to hear... A, I want to hear like 50 preachers preach on the. See, people, are, your destiny, you're about to come out. God is about to bring you into a new season. He's about to bring houses. He's about to bring honeys. He's about to bring. <laughs> y'all know I'm telling the truth. Huh? He's been, I'm telling you, your changes, it's right around the corner. If you just turn the corner, it's coming, it's coming. Get, 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 get. And, you, and you, everybody running, out, <laughs> foaming, and guess what? Nothing never comes. But what does the Bible say? They taught believe. Let's see. Let's see if we go to them same places and teach. Guess what? We're destined for trials. You'd yeah. be like, <laughs> get him as far away from that microphone as possible. But the text says we're destined for trials. But it's. But it does not say is that we're destined for depression. In despair because of the trials. See, that's what I like about it. It, it. it said you're destined to go through it, but you missed the other part. We're destined to be stabilized by the gospel. Listen, we don't get excited about trials. Who wants to get excited about trials? I'll be, be like, dang. But then guess what? But when I know that there's hope in the midst of it, and there's strength in the midst of it, and it's not for nothing, that everything happens for a reason, that all things work together for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, when I know that the present light and momentary afflictions will reflect and be strengthened by an eternal weight of glory, when I know that the afflictions of the righteous are many, but God delivers them out of all of them. Oh, my God. When the, I, I, if I had not been afflicted, I wouldn't know the goodness of God. If I wasn't afflicted, I wouldn't know the mercy of God. If I wasn't afflicted, I wouldn't know that He cares for me. If I wasn't afflicted, I would never know the comfort of the Spirit. If I was never afflicted, I would never know the peace of God. If I wasn't afflicted, I would not know that in the midst of a storm, you can see sunlight. I'm going to sit down. My time is over. But I'm just trying to encourage somebody that your life is mixed up for a reason. Your life is mixed Why? Because he does, he, God likes to show off his diamonds on a dark backdrop. <laughs> if he puts you on a white canvas, nobody would see your light. But when he puts you on a dark canvas and shines his light on you, the flawless diamond through Jesus Christ, it sparkles with the bling bling of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down. But I'm just trying to let you know. And encourage you, the spiritual stability. And I'm gonna come closing now. I promise. I promise y'all. Spiritual stability is intentionally opposed. I'm closing on this, since for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, verse five, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Let me just tell you something. There will be opposition. But there will be stability. <laughs> and, and, and there is going to be hellacious haterade on your spiritual growth. Let me say that again. Cause y'all, write that down. Say, say, you can tweet it, whatever you want to do. Say, in my life, you can, I'm a prophesy right now. It ain't really a prophecy. It's just what the Bible says. Um, there will be hellacious haterade regularly in my life. But God. I'm going to promise you that there will be enemies of your stability. But I can also promise you that if you submit to the living God, you're going to be all right. That's it. Simple message. Father, we thank you that, that you stabilize us. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Being established by you. Is the only thing that makes sense in this life. It's the, o- it's the only thing that makes sense in this life. Somebody may say, why is he preaching on trials every week? Because the text keeps bringing it up. <laughs> and, 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 and we need to have built into our matrix, Lord God, the ability to, 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 to be warriors and soldiers for you. Men and women who must recognize, all of us, that we are battle-approved through the gospel. So, God, if someone doesn't know you today, I pray that they would repent of their sin and put their faith in your finished work on the cross. That you've died for our sins, died for, if they want to call them mistakes, whatever, they're all sins. But not just our mistakes, but for our nature being different than yours. And that's holy and righteous. And then you raised up on the third day, showing that you weren't guilty, but you carried our guilt. said that if we believe in that, we are raised with you just as we died with you on the cross. And our sins are removed. Help that to be a reality for someone today. We honor you, bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.